Today's episode of the Goldcast is sponsored by the emotional up and down being a San Francisco Bay Area sports fan can have in just one week. In one week, in the last, well, I guess actually it's been two weeks since I've spoken to you guys, we've had a Clippers series that went a game too long, arguably two games too long. Then we had an NFL draft that started like gangbusters and then got extremely perplexing in the third and fourth round. Then we have a game against the Houston Rockets, which was crazy. We win that. We have the elation of that. And then we have the fallout of a next a 24-hour news cycle that basically becomes an in-depth discussion of fouling, flopping, and we have to hear the Rockets just whine for day, two days on end and then bring up 80... I'm, I'll get into that afterwards. <laughs> then, then on top of that, on top of that, we also have to watch our Blessed Warriors go through very similar frustrations on the court. And so it has just been an emotional up and down time for San Francisco Bay Area sports fans. This is it. Uh, before we get started, Raymond, the greatest fan in the game, is not present for today's episode. He will return a little bit later, but he will not be available for this episode. You get me, Rudy Salisa III, the professor of fanalism. Here we are. Let's go. Classes in session. So check this out. Remember, you can find us on youtube.com slash the goldcast you can find us on itunes and stitcher you can find us pretty much anywhere great podcasts are sold ours is free costs you zero dollars like most podcasts don't forget to like subscribe share comment get a lot of comments on the youtube page which is always awesome love getting comments on the youtube page people are very active there it's a great place Uh, we like to read comments that we enjoy so if you like to reach out you like to have your opinion heard on the goldcast that is the place to find us so let's get into this there's so much to unpack i don't even know even as a one-man show today i don't know if we have enough time to get through all of my thoughts as i said your professor of fanalism is here class is in session let's get busy san francisco are you ready this is the gold cast Boom! Welcome to another edition of the Goldcast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Sousa III, and with me is you and me, Rudy Sousa III. This is it. This is a solo Goldcast mission. We are here. Let's go. Oh, man. Okay, let's... Where do I start? Let's... Let's start with the most... The most... The most contemporary thing, which I was going to say is probably going to be the Golden State... Warriors versus the Houston Rockets game one great ending tough game I've heard a lot of people say that this game this is really interesting all right like I said classes in session let's talk about some fanalism here let's talk about fan perspectives this is what's really interesting about fan perspectives is that fan perspectives it really it can color how you see things and one of the things I try to do as a professor of fanalism is I try my best to really observe my own biases and then also 
try to objectively look at what I think, what I think I'm seeing in front of me while at the same time understanding that I do have a bias towards my teams. I do have a bias towards the things that I'm seeing. And so it can get really tricky and, a, a, you know, there's, there's a constant back and forth. And sometimes there are moments where I'm like, I am literally just watching fan, fan bias, team bias, just play out to the ultimate level. And I think that really, really reared its ugly head during game one of the Houston Rockets at the Golden State Warriors. So first and foremost, it was a great game. I loved the game. Man, the offensive display on both these teams, and don't get me wrong, I can't stand the Rockets, but the offensive display from both these teams was jaw-dropping. It's incredible to see shooters at this level. I liked the defense. I thought the Warriors really stepped it up. KD has been playing out of his mind. You know, it's really interesting because I've seen this a lot from him in the last couple the last couple games, you know, they've been trying really hard to take KD's three point uh, three point shot away from him because he's so dangerous there. So he's just been doing this mid range jumper, and it's just death by a tiny thousand cuts. And it's awesome to see just these mid range jumpers, which shouldn't work against a team like the Houston Rockets, who you know manipulate their way into trying to basically get four points out of every three pointer. We're going to talk about that in a second that manipulate their way into juking the system so that they can get the most amount of points they possibly can. Three from a, from a two-point layup or two-point shot, and then four from a three-point, so anything beyond the three-point line. So it was interesting to see KD using this tactic and it being successful. It was a tight game, 105 to 100. And what's really interesting here is that Steph Curry wasn't 100%. Right, Clay Thompson wasn't 100%. I'm hoping they'll be 100% tomorrow, Tuesday, for Game 2. I really am. I'm hoping they'll be 100% or at least something closer to 90. Uh, Steph didn't have a bad game. Obviously, the Dagger 3 at the end was fantastic and was just a huge, huge moment, and that, that Dagger 3 was awesome. But we're still seeing a Warriors team that is not on full display. And it's interesting because people that believe the Rockets are going to win and this is a tough series. I'm very nervous about this series. I think it's going to go Rockets and six or Warriors and seven. I think that's how this game is going to go down. I hear people saying Warriors and five. Oof, man, you're really, that's some overconfidence there. I could see us going up 2-0 tomorrow and then dropping two in Houston. I really could see that. Now, Golden State seems to really thrive playing on the road right now, and that's great. That's a huge tool that you need when you're in the post especially in basketball because we all know how insanely difficult it is to win on the road those crowds have a real effect on them you know what it reminds me of i've said this before on the on the gold cast before but i used to be a pro b-boy back in the uh, late 90s like 99 2000 2001 used to compete all over uh california now being a pro b-boy is a pretty cool thing it's not nearly as glorious as it sounds it's not like being a pro skater you know it was it was a lot less being a pro b-boy you're like competitions you're you're you know you're making 50 to 250 300 bucks per competition and when you're 19 that's that's a lot of money <laughs> but it's not something you can actually like hang your hat on but there's a, you know you get to be on a lot of videos you're you know you you're, you meet a lot of people you get in a lot of events for free it was a great run i was really proud of it but the thing about b-boy circle so let me explain something about a b-boy circle when you're competing and you're not and you're going against like the home crew right? The, key, the crew that's from the city that the competition is being held in. And you're surrounded by 200, 300 people that are all 
they're literally the crowd is right there on the floor with you. Every little thing they do gets magnified. Like it's the greatest thing that's ever been done. And you as the competitor will do something great. And there's just silence. There's no sound. No one cheers for you. And it's the weirdest thing, especially because in breakdancing, that roar of approval from the crowd is also proof that you have succeeded at whatever move and set you were trying to pull off, right? Basketball is the same thing in terms of that roar of the crowd. When you're on the wrong side as a b-boy, it could be so draining. So when you're on the wrong side in basketball, it is so draining, right? So it's very hard to win on the road and the Warriors seem to thrive on the road. And I think our best bet is to pull these two out. If we can t- pull these two out, we can win tomorrow and defend the home front for game two. That puts us in so much better position. But if we have to go into Houston tied 1-1, I'm very nervous about that. I'm really, really nervous about it. And the one thing that you can hang your hat on is that at least Golden State seems to thrive playing on the road right now because those crowds are no joke. All right, so great game. Love seeing Draymond. I feel like we've been seeing vintage Draymond this whole postseason. You know, Bob Myers challenged him. uh, GM of the Warriors challenged him to lose weight. He said, you know, I need you to lose 15 pounds. If this team is going to go all the way, I need you to be at your peak physical best. You need to lose at least 15 pounds. Draymond went above and beyond as he does with everything, and he lost 23. My one complaint is that Draymond's got to stop John with the refs. Stop jawing. They're just itching to give you a tech. So knock it off. Just play the damn game. That's one of the hard parts that was frustrating. I'm starting to slowly work my way into this foul conversation because you've heard everyone talk about it. And I'm not going to say a whole lot. I'm just going to talk about it from the fan perspective. So just stop jawing with the refs because they are just looking and itching, especially for a guy like Draymond, to give him a tech. He already has three. Come on. Okay, so he has seven. He gets out. We already know what happened. When, last time he got suspended for a game, we lost an NBA Finals. Okay, so let's not just slow your roll. Okay, so going down to the fouls. It's really frustrating. And it's funny because you talk to any Rockets fan or anybody who hates the Warriors, which is virtually everybody outside of the Bay Area now. And they're like, Man, the refs, the refs are so on the Warriors' side. Oh, my God. First of all, the refs have been picking on the Warriors nonstop through the entire Clippers series. And maybe that's just my bias coming into play. Maybe other Golden State fans don't see it, but I feel like they really, especially in Game 5, that was ridiculous. Anyways, going back to this, oh, that's, you know, they're not calling anything on the Rockets. Are you kidding me? They got to the line a ton. The two big ones, the two big ones in question that are in question is the the Chris Paul, the Chris Paul one where he literally throws his hip into Sean Livingston. He threw his hip. It was ridiculous. It was absolutely ridiculous. And then, of course, the one at the end with James Harden and Draymond Green where James Harden basically jumps two feet in front of himself, lands on the floor, feet up, you know, trying to draw the foul. Here's my thing. That, I don't understand. If I was a Rockets fan, if I was a Rockets fan, I I feel like I'm rational enough to know that that kind of play, that kind of a, attempt at drawing a foul, it, they're not on the right side of the rule book right there. And I feel like I'm sm- unbiased enough and 
neutral enough of a fan to realize that if I saw that, I wouldn't, I'd be like, nah, you know, eh, we're getting kind of sneaky right there. It's all good. Like, you, you, I, I got to let those two go. Like, I can't, I can't call those. Come on, man. We Even us, even us as Rockets fans, we have to admit that, you know, they were totally trying to draw those fouls. But no, no, they're, they're adamant about it. And even fans who hate the Warriors, they're like, no, no, man. He, Draymond Green, Draymond Green was in his, in his, I didn't remember what the damn thing is called, jump space or whatever. First of all, who the, who the F knows what that is? Since when did you ever know that? When, when did we all become experts on, on, on that area? Since when? And then Harden with the little dig, the little dig about, uh, the little dig going back to Kawhi Leonard. Well, we all know what happened there and where he landed uh, on Jaja Pachulia and hurt his ankle and got himself knocked out of the game. That, that little manipulative, passive-aggressive, little mind bomb right there. Well, well, well. Okay, first of all, it was a total accident. Second of all, Kawhi Leonard didn't purposely try to land on top of Zaza Pachulia to draw a foul that had he just landed normally, it wouldn't have been called. He went up, he went straight down. It was in a total accident. You are legitimately trying to land two feet in front of you to draw a foul that's technically not a foul. You're trying to juke the stats. You're trying to, to exploit the rules as they are constructed to generate four points out of three, which I get. You've been doing this for two years straight. Chris Paul too. But there's, I understand the bending of the rules, but then it just gets really frustrating when, I'm not going to say that they're cheating, but I'm going to say they're they're one level below it at that point. You know what I mean? It's it, it flopping. Essentially, you could call it flopping, right? Which is, you know, flopping, but I mean, we're not even, we're flopping, but we're also, we're also pretending something is happening here that isn't happening. You know, we're, Chris Paul's literally throwing himself into Sean Livingston, bending his hip at this insane angle. I'm thinking, man, you keep landing like that, you're going you're to mess up that hamstring again. James Harden kicking his feet and landing. He's landing on Draymond Green. Draymond Green did a move. He goes up and down, right, basically in the same exact spot. And then he lands on Draymond and is like, hey, where's the foul? And my whole frustration, my whole frustration with other fans, it's all good. It's all good. We're all fans. We're all biased. We all think our team Everyone thinks their team is getting ripped on. Everyone, everyone thinks that the the refs are against their own team. Everyone thinks that the commentators are always biased against their teams. We all think we all think Joe Buck hates our team, right? We all think that. But at the same time, you have to have a little bit of neutrality here. Come on, you cannot possibly tell me whether or not you hate the Warriors is besides the point. Whether or not you're a Houston Rockets fan is besides the point. You can't tell me that you can look at those two plays objectively and tell me that the Warriors did anything wrong there. And those are the two plays that we keep seeing getting pulled up over and over and over again. And now the the Rockets just released this thing where they said they analyzed game seven of the Western Conference Finals and the refs missed 81 calls. Well, you know who missed 27 three-pointers? The fucking Rockets. So get over it. Just get over it. That It just it drives me nuts. And again, Coming from the fan, as a fan, I live in an international city, as you guys know. I'm born and raised, San Francisco native. I now live in Los Angeles. I have to hear, you know, San Francisco sports hate all the time from all, but very international city. San Francisco is an international city, but it's also only, there's only like 800,000 people there, 850. There's eight to 10 million here. That's a huge difference. The, the, it just the sheer numbers, anything that exists in, in the thousands in San Francisco exists in the millions in LA. So the numbers are just so much exponentially larger. The only city bigger than us is New York. 
than Los Angeles. So I just have to hear it all the time, but I'm just like, get over it. Don't be, be biased, be protective, but at the same time, be objective. Okay. Don't, don't waste my time. Don't waste my time with a stupid ass response and pretend that something is happening. That's not because you're literally just pretending. And that drives me nuts. Just don't pretend because I can look at those plays objectively. And if the Warriors were landing in their spaces and not doing that, if they were doing that, I would be able to admit it and be like, yeah, the refs are kind of being biased for the Warriors right now, you know, and, and, you know, I understand why it sucks for them. Oh, well, whatever. I'm a Warriors fan. I don't care. But I could objectively acknowledge what's happening. But don't sit here and watch and then pretend that something is happening that's not. Don't sit here and tell me that the Rockets aren't trying to juke the stats right there and they're not being babies because they're being complete babies because they're basically their manipulation and their flops aren't being called. Why is the refs, why is that the refs obligation? Oh, I just want to, James Harden, I just want a game called fairly. Well, he did call it fairly. He didn't fall for your bullshit. Super simple. So I, I don't get it. Anyways, that's my rant. It's frustrating as it is. And that whole thing, I don't know if you saw, go on Bleacher Report, that whole thing where you know, Rockets said they, they reanalyzed game seven and there's 81 missed calls. Well, like I said, great. Well, there's also 27 missed three-pointers. So maybe you should have landed three of those and we wouldn't have this conversation. Be better. Be better fans. Be a better team. All right. There we go. My rant is done. Moving on. So let's talk about the draft. You know the draft. The 49ers draft. So first of all, let's talk about day one because that's the best day. Drafting Nick Bosa. What do we say? We, I think my biggest fear was that the 49ers were going to get cute gonna get cute trade down or or you know go go somewhere else grab someone else get cute that was what I was afraid the 49ers were gonna do when all we had to do was one thing draft Nick Bosa Josh Allen Allen or Quinnen Williams that's all we got to do right just draft one of those three guys I would have been happy with any of the three Bosa seemed to fit our system the best so that was the guy I wanted and was the most excited about and he goes, right? Best fan moment. You guys all saw it, right? If you haven't seen it, go on to Twitter and check this out. Is the moment when they have that big showing of the, of the 49er faithful. I don't even know where that was. Where was that? Someone tell me where that was in San Francisco. Where was that event that the draft, that giant draft party that had like, looked like the entire city was in a warehouse. Uh, I hope they were playing house music afterwards because that'd be classic San Francisco. So they, they call Nick Bosa the whole crowd goes crazy. I go crazy. I am jumping and screaming in my house. I swear to God, I thought my apartment building was going to fall down. I was just going bananas. Bananas. Great pick, right? We didn't get cute. We didn't get. We didn't overthink it. We needed a pass rush. Went and got the best one available. The one with the highest potential, the highest ceiling right there. Boom, we got him. Right? So, great. That's all we got to do. That's all we had to do. Okay, day two comes around, right? 36 pick overall in round two. We get Debo Samuel, wide receiver, South Carolina. All right, okay, not bad. 62 passes for 882 yards, 11 touchdowns in 2018. Uh, he was coached by the 49ers back in January at the Senior Bowl. Uh, okay, great. You know, apparently big, big, uh, high on a lot of people's draft boards. Okay, we need another wide receiver, sure. 
then this is where it starts to get weird. Round three, 67th overall pick, Jalen Hurd, wide receiver from Baylor. Back-to-back wide receivers. And Jalen, from everything I've read, is a little bit more, you know, he's a little bit more um, versatile, maybe could possibly even run out of the backfield for us. I, I, I don't watch college, so I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I know a, a bunch about these guys. There's way other podcasts that do that stuff, and that's that's what they do. This isn't, again, I'm just looking at this from as from a fan perspective. I am not a football professional scout. You, listening to this podcast, are not a football professional scout. But let me ask you something, just from a logical perspective, okay? Just between you and me. Listen close. Why do we need two wide receivers back-to-back? Aren't we hurting really bad in the secondary right now? So why don't we get a corner cornerback in round three? Just one cornerback. We're going to take a flyer on Jalen Hurt. We already have uh, Dante Pettis. We have Marquise Goodwin. We now have Debo Samuels. We have Tevin Coleman, Tevin freaking Coleman, the, the, in my opinion, the best, arguably the best get out of free agency. We have Jarek McKinnon coming back. I'm, I'm not super high on Jarek McKinnon. Other people are really high, but he's there. So we, we have George Kittle right there. So you know what we don't have? Name one good cornerback for the 49ers. So why, why, why do we go with Jalen Hurd? Somebody explain this to me. If you explain to me why, this is what I want to hear from the Goldcast, if you have an answer for this, explain to me why we don't go Jalen Hurd, or why we go Jalen Hurd in round three. Then it gets even more perplexing. Round four, 110th overall. Got it from the Bengals. We get Mitch Wyshynowski, punter from Utah. Why did we draft a punter? Six foot two, 218 pounds, has a 45.7 yard punt average over three years at Utah. There were 100 total return yards over his past 106 punts, but I mean, what's that got to do with him? I mean, I mean, I mean, I guess the kick, but it's not like he's tackling these guys. I, you know, it's it's almost like fantasy draft. Like, why would you grab a punter in the fourth round? Again, why is the secondary not addressed two rounds in a row? No safeties, no corners, nothing. We get a wide receiver and a punter. Uh, okay, the next punter was picked 56 places later. I, I just don't get it. The, these are the most perplexing parts of the draft. We get a, uh, a linebacker in round 5, 148th overall from the Broncos, traded up with Broncos, Dre Greenlaw. Linebacker from Arkansas, 5'11", 237 pounds, recorded 321 tackles, 13 tackles for loss, four sacks, three interceptions over four seasons with the Razorbacks. He's a run-and-chase Will linebacker. Okay. Then round six, 176 overall, Caden Smith, tight end, because we need to address that. We need another tight end. We have literally the best tight end in the league. I don't know what's saying that you can just depend on that, but again... Where's the cornerbacks? Where's the safeties? Where's anybody that's addressing an area of need? Two wide receivers back-to-back. I get we're losing our punter, but come on. For real, the fourth pick in the draft? The fourth pick? And then then, then here we get a tight end in the sixth pick? We have the best tight end in the league. And then we go offensive tackle. 
round six, 183rd overall. Listen to me. Uh, this is uh, Justin Skule? Skule? Skull? Scully? Scully? I don't know. Uh, six foot seven, 317 pounds. That's about as big as I am. Started all 25 games for the Commodores over the last two seasons and became a dependable tackle. He played right tackle to begin his career before making the switch to the left side. Okay, let me get this way. You're never going to complain out of me if we get O-line. Again, my role, what did I say last year? And I'm going to say it again this year. Jimmy Garoppolo should never be allowed. No human should be allowed to put their hands on Jimmy G. If his grandmother goes in for a hug, I want a tackle there to slap her down. I want him to be like the bubble boy from that, uh, the uh, John Travolta movie from like a billion years ago where he was in the bubble and he couldn't leave the bubble. Anyone over, anyone under 30 is going to be like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. There's this movie where uh, John Travolta, when he's a kid, he plays like this bubble boy and he's he's in this bubble and like he can't leave the bubble because he has some sort of debilitated disease and if he walks out the bubble, he's going to die, right? And then the whole movie is about him trying to make the decision to actually leave the bubble because of some girl. I want Jimmy G to be like the bubble boy. He's You cannot touch him. No one can touch him. No one can touch him while he plays as the 49ers quarterback because look at that. Well, look what happened. He tore his ACL on his own. We didn't even need help. No one even touched him. And he tore his ACL. So I, I, literally, if his grandma goes in for a hug at Thanksgiving, I want a lineman there from the 49ers to jump and slap her arms down and push her to the ground. Sorry, Grandma Grandma G. But it, it's just, it's just got to be like this for the next 10 years. It, once we get past this, you give all the hugs you want on Thanksgiving. But for now, nobody can touch Jimmy G. He's the boy in the bubble. Okay, so, so I'm never going to have an issue with them drafting uh, a tackle. Okay, then in round six, 198th overall. From the Bengals, Tim Harris, cornerback, Virginia. So now we address the cornerback position. So now we finally address this area of much, much need for us. And again, I'm just perplexed. Why is this why does this take this long? Why did we draft a punter, a tight end? Two back-to-back wide receivers before getting a cornerback. Why is the cor- why is the cornerback literally the last position that we draft? It's very perplexing to me. I found this very, very, very perplexing. So a little bit about uh, about our final pick. Harris, six foot two, 197 pounds, about the same size as me. Played for six seasons at Virginia, which included uh, two uh, medical redshirt seasons. Uh, you know, those are my favorite. He posted 36 total tackles and two interceptions as a senior in 2018. Over the course of his entire career with the Cavaliers, he racked up 109 tackles and four picks. Okay. Remember what I said at the beginning? I just didn't want the 49ers to get cute. And it felt like we got a little cute. Felt like we overthought things and we got we 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 went for some reaches that seemed unnecessary. Again, I, I just think that in this draft, really your area of need above everything was pass rush and the secondary. And I I think we did a great job in free agency and with the first pick of shoring up and addressing the pass rush. But then we just completely have ignored secondary and i don't understand why you know who else used to ignore that secondary was was mr bulky so i just this just puts a bad taste in my mouth i don't like where this is going this again this reminds me of bulky right and as we've said in the past we we were really great 
with that front seven, that front four was just super nasty under the, in the Harbaugh era, but we tended to just let cornerback after cornerback go. And you know who didn't do that? The Seattle Seahawks. They didn't do that. And they ended up winning a Super Bowl. They went twice, won one. We went once, lost one. So there you go. Again, you know, it, it, you take with it what you will, but that was frustrating. So I went on to the 49er website. To There was an article there that said the 49er draft grades. And I just, I could care less about the ones who gave us the great grades. I wanted to see what people said, the lower grades. So Yahoo Sports gave us a C plus. So here's what Yahoo Sports said. They said, uh, best pick, Nick Bosa. Worst pick, Wyshynowski, the punter. They said, drafting punters isn't the worst football affront, but it's not far off. That would be drafting kickers. This was an area of need with Bradley Pinion leaving via for your agency, but the value here left us irritated. Wyshynowski, who'll be a 27-year-old rookie, was the first punter selected. But not, but might not have been good, a good a prospect as Stanford's Jake Bailey, who was drafted 53 slots later. The secondary was a spot they should have addressed prior to round seven. With an Iowa safety, Imani Hooker, a top 50 prospect for us, meaning Yahoo's uh, analyst, was still amazingly on the board. After a strong start to the draft, this class leaves us wanting more. Will they get more than three consider- considerable contributors out of the group? There were ma- way too many unanswered voids agreed the next big drop was cbs sports okay so cbs sports here they said i'll tell you exactly what cbs sports said best pick bosa worst pick punter mitch wishinowski in the fourth round why you don't draft punters this early if at all i don't care how good he is and can be I like their pick of Nick Bose, but wasn't enamored with the rest of their draft. They did add receivers Debo Samuel and Jalen Hurd, but there were better options when they took both, in my mind. I agree. And then the last one, Sporting News gave us a C+. Let's go to Sporting News. All right, so Sporting News. They said John Lynch started with a no-pick brainer of Bosa, the best overall talent in the draft, but the 49ers, giving the 49ers a good base. He got creative with Samuel and Hurd, and Smith was a good value late. This, this class pales in comparison to Lynch's recent work, however. I agree. Again, it was just, it was really perplexing and a bit frustrating, and I don't really know what to think overall about this draft. So I want to know what you think. So go on, go on to youtube.com. That's where most people tend to post, or you can reach out to me directly on Twitter and Instagram. I'll give you those handles at the end, and let me know what you think as another fan. Okay, tell me what you think. Am I wrong? And if I'm wrong, tell me. I'd love to hear it. I'd love to hear why I'm wrong and why this is not a perplexing draft, because I really think it was. All right, so you can find me on Twitter at Rudy Solis 3RD and Instagram at Rudy Solis 3. So concludes another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Solis III. And we'll see you next time. Same Gold Cast time, same Gold Cast channel. This is, is the Gold Cast. <laughs>